Hey, we're back again with two guys in the cloud. I'm uh, Bob Agno here with Elliot. Elliot is fresh off of vacation, so he should be ready with great new insights and arrested brain. How's everything going, Elliot? Well, good, but I, I'm here with a tan. Yeah, you know, well, that, that helps. And see that. a little bit of a, a, a little of bit of a beard. beard. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a full package. Nice. All. Yeah. Nice. So um, I know I'm, I'm, you know, it's that's the thing about vacations is you come back and you, you know, you're, you're charged again. So I'm that's right. Yeah. Excited to be back and excited about our discussion today. Yeah. And it, it's a good it's a it's a fun time. You know, it's spring. We've got uh, opening day for baseball tomorrow. We got March Madness, NCAA basketball, but that's all going to take uh, a seat for um, our guest today, fresh from Belgium. Nellie, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks for joining us today. Nellie, are you in? Are you in Brussels or around Brussels? In around the well, area. Belgium isn't that big, so everything seems to be a bit around Brussels. Okay. <laughs> Wherever okay. in Belgium you are, you're at somewhere around Brussels. No, I think uh, I'm uh, about an hour's drive from Brussels. Got it. I was in Brussels three years ago, maybe, um, and just loved it. It was just such a beautiful city and, and just great, great experience. So I love your little corner of the world. It is little if you compare it to the U.S., so yeah, definitely. <laughs> I see sun coming out of your window. Is it nice there today? It's uh, actually the first very nice day of the year at the moment. Apparently more than 20 degrees out there, which is in Celsius, so not in Fahrenheit. Right, right. Yeah, Just in yeah. case you think. No, but I think, I mean, don't I want to do something like triple the number you know, or something like that. Is it so we would say something like 60 degrees Fahrenheit? I have, I have no clue. But I used to, to get this in school, I think, but I forgot about it by now. How yeah. to put that transition in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I clearly did too. But if you're saying it's a nice day, that's awesome. Great. I'm happy. I'm happy for the fine people of Belgium that they have a nice day today. That's great. Yeah. They're not that often in spring. Yeah, <laughs> mostly rain. Understand. So what? Do we, so Bob, what are we here to talk about today? So we're going to talk about Oracle in the cloud today, and a lot of different aspects of Oracle. Everything from, you know, how customers are leveraging um, Oracle in the public cloud, but also, you know, some different areas with um, Oracle and things like audit defense, how to be right licensed with Oracle and a lot of different topics with Oracle in the cloud. So um, it looks like, um, oh, Blair just pinged in and says 20 degrees Celsius is 68 Fahrenheit. So that is a very nice day you're that having. That is a very nice day. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. Well done. Well done, Blair. <laughs> well done, Blair. Adding value to the show. Top. Producer value. So Nelly, we, we, we always uh, start off with our guests and let them um, introduce themselves. And, uh, you know, talk a little bit about your background. We found that it, one of the neater part of what we do in this podcast is we get to know the, our guests a little bit deeper. Um, so if you could kind of walk us through your kind of career and your journey and uh, let us know how you got to where you are today, that'd be great. Okay, so um, I have absolutely 
no zero nada IT background, just so you know. I uh, actually had a, uh, I uh, did economics at school uh, and uh, I had a degree in economics. And then uh, due to circumstances, uh, I ended up going abroad for a few years, which is uh, here, that is uh, that was in Ireland. And yeah, once you're there, you need to find a job. So I kind of yeah, got into, uh, well, believe it or not, telephonic support for printers. Supporting <laughs> people that have issues with their printers and sure. getting them to work and stuff like that. Very funny situation sometimes. Uh, and it was interesting and nice, but then once we started moving back to 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 the direction of Belgium, we didn't immediately move back to to uh, to Belgium. We, we first had, did a little bit of a stop in in the Netherlands. I actually was uh, then hired by Oracle to be part of their LMS department, which is the License Management Services Department. Okay. Uh, or in other words, the auditing department at Oracle. So, and that's kind of how I rolled into the IT and especially into Oracle. And then start, once I've did, done that for a few years, uh, we decided to move back to our roots, go back to Belgium. Not that the Netherlands is that far off, but still uh, just wanted to be closer to the family uh, since we started our own. And uh, as such, uh, coming back to Belgium, it was either staying with Oracle uh, in a role that I didn't really believe in. It was still in the LMS department, but I didn't believe in the role they had in mind. And so I looked for something new and I ended up working for Insight. And then the first few years, I mainly uh, did a mix of anything which was software asset management, ranging from Microsoft, Adobe, Symantec, to, of course, Oracle, uh, until Insight decided that uh, an Oracle practice would be a very interesting uh, thing to have, uh, where licensed consulting was concerned. And uh, they asked me to join the EMEA team for that purpose of setting up that service. And that's how I ended up here. There you go. And I've been doing that for hmm, seven years by now. So Bob, oh, I think Bob, you, Bob, I think you're <laughs> muted. Uh, yeah, you're right. Talking on mute—that's that's, that's very funny. Um, <laughs> I, and uh, Nelly and I got to meet actually right before COVID happened. We had a uh, a summit in um, New York City last a year ago, February. So yep. uh, we got to meet right before uh, the world shut down. So that was pretty interesting, but. Uh, good to see you again here live on uh, Teams, and uh, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about Oracle today and some of the kind of nuances uh, that clients are seeing now and how it's running in the cloud. Um, you know, I have a software asset management background and audit defense background as well from, but from the Microsoft side. So learning more about Oracle is always very interesting to me. Um, you know, we work with Nellie and her team on engagements here in the U.S. for our U.S. clients, but it's um, always very interesting how different these um, software providers are and, you know, how they are functioning in the new environment in the cloud these days. So, Nellie, just wanted to kind of turn the floor over to you and see, you know, what, how are our customers leveraging Oracle in the cloud these days? 
Well, there's a few things that you, if, if we talk Oracle on the cloud, there's a few things you need to, to realize. Um, first of all, uh, Oracle has their own cloud environment, the OCI, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. I think everybody knows that. That's in IT. However, it never really seemed to be going that well in the past. Well, as we see it since the start of COVID, you see a very gradual incline in use of Oracle cloud infrastructure because well, people need more performance, need more resources, need more cloud availability, easy, easier views. So Oracle becomes a kind of a player in the market now as well. So can, I'm going to just sort of be yeah, definitely. You know, the guy Drop that in. asks questions, you know, in the sense that I don't know. It's kind of fun for me because I don't know Oracle. And so I have all these questions, and so I'm, I'm wondering. We say Oracle in the cloud. My first thought is: Is this a infrastructure as a service scenario? Is it a SaaS based cloud? You know, meaning it, you know, from a just sort of pure infrastructure as a service perspective, allowing Oracle customers to you know prop up servers, virtual servers, you know, the infrastructure services that are part of that. Is that what we're talking about? Or is it much more, hey, you can serve up, uh, you know, Oracle ERP through the cloud, you know, like, so I, that that's sort of where my, I guess my yeah. first question goes. So if we talk about software as a service, the ERP in the cloud, that type of thing, Oracle is already out there quite frequently used. So that's not the market they have challenges with um the, the 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 challenging part in the past was the cloud uh, or infrastructure and uh, pass platform as a service mm -hmm. but um as per as with their on-prem they they off the full shebang they have practically well everything is maybe the big word but a lot this is oracle we're talking about this is a gigantic company um, and they kind of go for it for now so. Looks like I lost connection for a second. No, no, no. For, yeah, yeah, for yeah. a second, but you're back. Yeah, but yeah, you're, you're back. okay. So, okay, that that's interesting. And so, when when they're when what they're trying to compete with with I think you saw you said OCI, right? Um, yeah, OCI. You know, that's the competition with AWS and Azure. Oh, perfect. That that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. All right. So that's yeah. that's um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. All right. So the so Oracle's beginning to see an uptick in terms of OCI over the yeah. last year as every other cloud provider has so that's interesting okay yes definitely so does oracle does oracle make it um how do i ask this like from a microsoft standpoint microsoft uh workloads uh microsoft will say run best and cheapest on azure does oracle make uh that for for their own public cloud for example is it is it more expensive to run oracle on aws and azure than uh oracle's cloud in principle, it is, yeah. Okay. So up till uh, a couple of years ago, it wasn't. So just so you know, uh, Azure and AWS, they are the only two so-called accepted public cloud providers for Oracle software. What okay. does that mean? That is, if you have Oracle in your uh, on-prem environment and you want to move it on AWS, you want to move it on Azure, there, these are the so-called authorized cloud environments and you can do that. You're allowed to do that from a licensing perspective. And then next to that, there's a very definite uh, idea on how that 
requires calculating. So you have one process license. If you move it to AWS, that's the way you look at it. If you move it to Azure, that's the way you look at it. it there's a, a fixed uh, yeah, principle behind that, say it like that. Much um, like the Celsius and Fahrenheit conversion. Right. <laughs> it's not as complex as the Celsius to Fahrenheit con yeah. conversion, though, but it is uh, similar to that. Yeah, definitely. So, and, um, and obviously OCI is another alternative, I'm sure, where if I want to well, move. Yes, so that's another alternative. Although if you look at the document, the so-called policy document that states the authorized cloud environments, OCI is not mentioned on there, strangely enough. However, there is another document of Oracle that is also, yeah, dictating rules and policies, and there is mention on how you can do that. However, within OCI, there's other alternatives as well. So if you, for instance, say, I want to take my on-prem to Azure, you can do that uh, by moving your on-prem licenses to Azure, or you can create a virtual machine in Azure. And now I'm thinking not with Azure, but Azure, you can no longer buy the software with at Azure. You can with AWS, there is still the possibility to buy an Oracle database in the cloud on AWS and buy the software through AWS. Where oh. Azure is concerned, you can only kind of drop your own licenses on it. Right, mm -hmm. that bring your own license concept, you know, yes, be bio. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. And if you then move to OCI, you have actually three options. You have the subscription option, as you call it, which is pure subscription database as a service. You have the bring your own license option to combine with subscription, which means you have database as a service, but you bring your own license. In that area, your database is also managed by Oracle or the updates, the, the things that go with that, the maintenance uh, part. And then the last but not least, you also have the possibility to kind of work the same way as you would with Azure is drop your database on it, manage the database yourself and bring your own license. So that's the pure bring your own license model. So depending on what we're looking at, there are different but possibilities what the licensing is concerned. And OCI is not inherently less expensive than the Azure or AWS alternative. As we see, there is there's a few things you need to look at it if you want to look at that way, right? So um, you of course have the cost of your virtual machine or your bare metal machine, depending on what you choose as a uh, yeah platform or as the infrastructure, right? So in that regards, I think, although I'm not a cloud, uh, a cloud specialist from a pricing perspective, but what we see is both the pricing parameters that come into play with these three uh, environments are quite similar. The only problem is it's very hard to make a differentiation and see which one is more expensive because each type of environment, including storage, including networking, including um, your 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 computer environment, it's all just a tad different. As a result, it's very hard to make pricing comparisons between that layer. <clears throat> Where the database is concerned, uh, we know based on the analysis we do that Azure and AWS tend to be less um, 
from a pricing perspective, from a licensing perspective, less interesting to go to than OCI, which is logical uh, because of the way it's calculated. You would need more licenses on AWS or Azure than you would need for a similar setup of environment in Oracle. So pure on the licensing cost side, it is likely more cheaper to run it on Oracle, which is, I think, quite logical than if you would run it on AWS and Azure. 100%. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it's interesting that Google is not part of their um, approved public cloud. Is there a reason for that, do you think? Is it just do you think maybe that's an up and coming one and they haven't got there yet? Or the demand for Oracle on Google um, is not there yet? Just wanted to pick your brain on that one. We have not come across one client that is running Oracle on Google. Interesting. We have found a lot of clients that are running it on AWS already or on Azure already. And now the last year, we've come across clients that are asking questions about running on OCI. Uh, we've just finished the first full project on that, that a client that is only running on OCI for both the database and the middleware side. So, um, but in principle, AWS and Azure, we find that the Oracle deployed on there for a lot of our clients. And yeah, especially enough, most of them have a mix of the two. Right. So right. we don't see a client saying we're just gonna we have uh, we have on prem and then next to that only AWS or only Azure. It happens, but most common we have both AWS and Azure deployments in the same client environment, which I think is an interesting one to to know. Yeah, is it definitely we're seeing that here in the US too with multi-cloud uh, strategies for most enterprises now. They find, you know, costs, uh, economy, different negotiations with different public clouds. So it's interesting how uh, everybody is moving different workloads to different public clouds and trying to find the value in, uh, you know, one over the other. So that's interesting. I think AWS, which probably had the lion's share early on in the early adopters, mm -hmm. are um, now seeing Azure uh, playing a lot of catch up in that space, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. There's probably a, a you know, a level of redundancy there as well. You know, if, if I have two public clouds, if there's an outage on one, at the very least, I've got other workloads that are persistent on the other, assuming that they both don't go out. You know, so I, I think there's a, a hedge there as well. That's probably another reason we're seeing this. Maybe, you know, that, that's a thought in all of this. It's, it's also interesting for Oracle uh, public cloud because are they going to just be the, the public cloud for Oracle databases and SaaS applications? Um, or are they going to try to compete with an Azure and an AWS and be, you know, this mega public cloud? I'm, I'm sure that's what they would prefer, but it almost seems right now they're kind of a, a niche player uh, for their own technology. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's definitely a fair statement. And actually, to be honest, I think the original idea for the Oracle Cloud was indeed to go and play in the area of AWS and Azure to kind of have a platform that fits all. Right. But I, 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 I kind of got rumors in that uh, late that a few years ago, um, things started really changing at Oracle, and there's now an Oracle on Oracle idea. So 
where it's not that common anymore or it's not really the idea anymore to allow just anything to run on Oracle. The idea is that if you want to run something on Oracle, you need to have Oracle on it. So, um, so the whole idea of making it available for everybody, for everything, I believe they stepped away from that. So that niche playing part is actually where they're going, which is in in one way what they've always done, right? So it's right. always been right. Oracle on Oracle and they have the full stack and they, they wanted to kind of offer the whole shebang to the clients. And that was the whole idea. Whether it's a good move, I don't know. This is a very big company and they tend to gain market share by pushing things through. So initially they... You know, I wonder if that's a archaic approach, you know, in the sense that it seems that what works in our world is sort of an open market approach. You know, if you think about the Microsoft evolution, you know, where Microsoft ran into problems was when it tried to be very proprietary, when it, you know, it was not open. And mm -hmm. think of the Balmer days, right? You know, and then, uh, you know, Satya comes around and opens up everything, you know, it makes it much more of a, you know, an integrated philosophy where whatever it is that we have, we're going to let it, you know, attach to any of our competitors, understanding that that's how we're going to insert ourselves into the marketplace. And I wonder if Oracle's now going to learn that lesson in the sense that, you know, what it, it seems to me that one of the smart things that they've been doing is opening up Oracle to Azure and AWS, because all that's going to do is give the Oracle database and the Oracle applications the ability to um, grow within other markets, if you will, you know, the Azure market or the AWS market. But, you know, if they only allow, not only allow, but only focus the OCI cloud to really support just Oracle applications, then it's limiting the market of OCI. And they're just going to run further and further behind AWS and Azure. And it just sort of, it may end up becoming a, a you know, a very limited life, lifespan, you know, for OCI as an example. Well, the thing is, one of the things you need to know is, as far as we know, lots of things are changing within Oracle these past few years. So uh, it might as well be that this was a uh, declaration that is that applied to uh, things happening three years ago, and they've now moved on already. And one of the things, for instance, we do know is now that you can run VMware on Oracle. Mm -hmm. So which before, and to be honest, that created a whole bunch of misunderstandings in the market. The fact that there wasn't an article that appeared about VMware being now okay for using it on Oracle or vice versa, Oracle on VMware, it had to do with certification. And um, now this, this requires a bit of background, which I don't know if you guys have this, but running Oracle on, uh, and I'm talking database, middleware, and sometimes apps as well, but mainly database and middleware, running Oracle on, on VMware can get very expensive very quickly because of the way that Oracle licenses those environments. However, up until a couple of years ago, the tendency was as well that if you were running Oracle on VMware and you had a support issue, you had a problem with, with the product not running, you needed to recreate that environment off VMware 
recreate that exact same issue and then you would get support. Otherwise, the support guys would say, well, it could be VMware. Right? Yeah. yeah. So in the meantime, there's been the certification and that certification was on the fact that you can run Oracle on VMware now and you can get support on it without them requiring you to right. recreate the situation, right? Um, this actually created the confusion with a lot of our clients coming to us and saying, oh, we can now license Oracle on VMware. That's no longer a problem. Well, it never has been a problem. It only has been very expensive, right? So mm -hmm. because of the way that uh, if you license Oracle on VMware, you need to license all the hosts. It's that yeah. simple. And depending on which version of VMware, the number of hosts goes from only the hosts in your cluster to all the hosts in all your vCenters. So you can imagine having a big VMware environment could become very expensive. So is a software asset management, uh, I guess, storyline, you know, and I'm, maybe this is to both of you. I, I've always thought software asset management is reducing in uh complexity and need because more and more things are going to the cloud but as i'm listening to you talk i'm wondering if it's becoming more complex and there's a greater need for software asset management because so many of our clients have this world that's in between you know on-premise and the cloud and maybe it's not always going to be it's not always going to be just the cloud or just on-premise it's probably going to be both and we have investments that we're, our clients are making where these rules between what's on-premise and what's on the cloud are sort of <clears throat> interlocked, right? So it's becoming more, you know, you know, more critical to understand from a software asset management perspective. And maybe it's not just software asset management anymore, but, you know, it's really just sort of portfolio alignment or something like that. Is that a fair way to put it? Am I, am I kind of saying that correct? Yeah, you are. And I, I think what's interesting is that the SAM market is is much different now, right? When when we talked about software asset management 10, 15 years ago, it was uh, staying compliant, making sure you got what you paid for, um, making sure you didn't have rogue software spent. You know, that still goes on today, but a lot of clients are really interested in understanding um, how how do we uh, have that migration? How are we able to license in both places? How do we not double spend for the cloud and for on-prem, like you mentioned? And it's really a more what I like to call modernized, Sam, because you really need to look at um, the environment and the complexities of that environment. At the same time, have some workflow. Uh, many uh, Sam has become all about workflow and integrating with Ariba and ServiceNow these days. So it, it's just very interesting. On it's not about counting licenses anymore. It's more about understanding your environment and how things run. Nelly, I'd love to get your take on that as well. Yeah, you're you're quite right, uh, especially uh, if you have these models of bring your own license, right? It means that you still need those licenses, and if you have the hybrid model of partially on-prem, partially in the cloud. Yeah, you, you can't just say, oh, I'm using it here now and I'm using it there the other day. That's not going to happen. They will never allow that, right? So yeah, software asset management, as you look at it, it, does, it is needed. However, what we see primarily within Oracle as well is optimization is yeah. required because of a lot of clients. Look at it this way. 
as I said, AWS has their own way of licensing if you want to move your Oracle there. If you do it on Azure, it's similar, but just a tad different. If you go on OCI, it's again similar, but just that tad different. And then if you run it on, even in your physical environment, in your on-prem environment, every single infrastructure setup that you have where you run Oracle might have a totally different way of counting the licenses. So it's very hard for a lot of clients to kind of keep track of how do I count this environment and uh, what is the correct licensing and how do these, how do my contracts map into that? And am I not paying too much? And what we tend to start seeing is we see clients optimizing the infrastructure side, but still looking for information on, yeah, which contracts can I drop, which, which support can I drop without any consequences. I have, yeah, an archive here. Do I still need to get that supported or not? Um, I, I, I need to keep this, well, I'm going to move it there, uh, but what is that implication on the licensing side if I do that? Um, so it's more than only pure baseline determining what the, 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 the back and forth is. For me, the risk assessment, the actual baseline, that's only the starting point of the project and of the value that we offer where we go and look at, look, if you restructure that or if you move it there, it will save you that many licenses. Um, we see here these contracts, you only use one or two products in a contract that's 120K in renewal value. Uh, maybe you should yeah, either pick these two up or actually drop the whole contract and repurchase only those two licenses in a new contract, it will reduce your total spend, your total cost of ownership. So it goes beyond just knowing what you have, which is really important. You need to know what you have if you want to do something about it, if you don't want to run any risks. But I think the main value of software asset management or optimization assessment or how you want to call it is, is knowing what you can do to reduce your spend or reduce any risks. Right. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's 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 fascinating. There's layers of economic optimization. I'll call them opportunities. And you you were right on there, Nelly. There, there's a lot of conversation around infrastructure optimization in terms of consumption. You know, how do we, yep. how do I reduce consumption? How do I optimize consumption? But there's this other entire layer that you're talking about, which makes as much you know it's, is as important. And you know, and that's without you know perhaps the acquisition or portfolio optimization you know, of of what's actually driving the consumption too. So uh, great opportunity for you know many of our clients or many the market in general to really optimize their spend. Period. You know, so that's yeah. that's really fascinating. I have a great example of that. I just finished a project. It was actually a U.S. project where we. Based on, we've done a three-year project with a client in the US, and initially the purpose was just getting a baseline and then finding some optimization opportunities. And now in the meantime, now that the third year has passed, we've actually managed to find them uh, two different opportunities. One is a direct 25% cut in their support costs, contracts that they could just drop because they don't need them. And then another 25% op optional reduction, further reduction on top of, uh, by uh, be because we identified a couple of contracts where only one or two products were used. So there was a little bit of extra cost behind, which kind of will reflect later. But 
in total, we could reduce their support spend with 50% by just doing this analysis and, and, and so by optimizing the way they're, they, they have been spending and by optimizing the infrastructure set of reducing some risk areas, et cetera. So that's yeah. what's massive. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, you know, so the great opportunity for us to compare notes between North America and EMEA in terms of this world, do you think that it, it all kind of is in alignment or do we, are we seeing it just listening to Nelly, it seems as if there's a bit more of a proactive position statement in EMEA than I think we run into in North America. But is that unfair? You know, what, what are your take? What's your take on that, Bob? Um, I think it's software asset management um, between the uh, markets in EMEA and in North America. I think it's they're they're different. Um, I see, for example, at Insight, um, our EMEA practice has a very strong what I call managed service, right, where they um, work with customers on more of an outsourced slash scenario. They may take a snow environment, a flex air environment, and manage it. Um, all up for a customer. In in North America, I find it to be a little bit more project-based oriented. For example, when we engage Nellie and her team here in North America, um, uh, the the one she was just mentioning was obviously a, a three-year commitment. But a lot of clients like to do, um, you know, like a baseline, right? Um, and I, I really want to ask Nellie about um, audit defense because Oracle has always been a very strong player in the audit market and there's yeah. a, a, a fear by many clients that they're going to be audited um, by Oracle. It's not um, if, it's more when. And mm -hmm. so, you know, a lot of clients are concerned about that. So what we do a lot of the times is come in and do a one-off baseline project, whether it's a Microsoft and Oracle or IBM, and help clients do that on a one-off. Uh, we've seen SAM staffs internally um, at uh, different enterprises here in the U.S. Uh, reduce. Um, we've seen a lot of the market move from some of the larger SAM tools to more service now or cloud providers that do it more on a just good enough basis than having, you know, 40 people run a SAM environment. So it's, um, <clears throat> I think there is some differences between the two markets, mm -hmm. but I think the, um, the underlying approach is very similar. I just think um, the difference the way North American clients like it versus EMEA may be differ in the, the managed service versus the project-based engagements. Nelly, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we do have uh, quite a bit of uh, managed services in EMEA, as you say. However, well, when, when, when Oracle is concerned, what I see is indeed that we have a lot of clients that buy one off, but they come back. So, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's not a managed service as such because, well, they are not buying multiple year projects, but they do have a one project, take some time to kind of restructure, make some changes and, and then come back to do a, another run to say it like that, to determine right. what we did. Did that actually have effect? Did it did the changes uh, take place that should have taken place, etc. Because, of course, um, let me say it like that. In 90% of the projects that we do, we find licensing deficits that are, let's say, very concerning for the client. 
And so the whole focus goes from we need to know what we have to we need to optimize. We need to do something because we can't buy that much software. It's too expensive. Uh, so and that shift is I'm telling you, the moment you present those numbers, that shift can go very quickly. Uh, and then, yeah, once you start, we give them some ideas on what they can do. But of course, the, the things they can do will depend on the infrastructure setup they have, the choices that the company makes, the strategies that the company decides to take towards Oracle. That's a lot of those areas. And we advise for that. But... Yeah, there are actions that clients need to take and certain infrastructure changes are not something you take yeah, one day to the other. It takes time. It takes a few months to kind of put these actions in place and, and, and make these changes happen. So that's something we see. Where maturity is concerned, I don't think you can really say that one market is be un, up front or behind the other. I think it's more client by client based. Great. So. I have had U.S. clients that are really, really mature in software asset management that really when you ask them for details, they can give it like that. Then you have clients in, in EMEA that have the same thing uh, and vice versa, where there is no real view, there's no, real, no grip on. Uh, so you have those type of clients in both markets. Um, well, yeah, really quick, earlier... Um, Bob brought up Ariba and ServiceNow, and and I, my sense is that that's the connecting point between, hey, I'm an organization, I need to get control of how we acquire software and and then manage our portfolio. Is that the platform, or those are those the platforms that help with that, or is that is that off? I mean, where does Ariba and ServiceNow fit within the SAM conversation? So a lot of um... So ServiceNow has a, a is fairly new player to the SAM tool market. They've been around, I don't know, five years or so. Um, and they just recently went into the Gartner Magic Quadrant of SAM tools with Flexera and Snow. And we've seen, I've seen a trend in the US is a lot of customers are electing to go to ServiceNow uh, for a couple of reasons. One, ServiceNow has a really good brand recognition for enterprises. And two, it gives them what they see as a kind of snap in and play kind of SAM um, orientation that already integrates into their ServiceNow environment. So, for example, you can um, purchase a Snow or Flexera, which is a very strong SAM platform. You can deploy it. You can get it configured up and running. And then you there. some of them are connectors and some of them have to be um, you know, custom developed integration into the ServiceNow or an Ariba platform, right? Um, and when you do that, it's time, money, resources, things that uh, a lot of organizations struggle with paying for um, in the long run. So if you can get a ServiceNow and you can um, snap that in and get a lot of that integration, quote unquote, out of the box, many uh, clients are electing to do that over um, you know doing a longer deployment in a in a snow or flex era so I, i've seen the market kind of shift there a little bit here in the us because it's just been interesting um, that sam and that workflow is is really important for a lot of the enterprise right it's just not like get me a report out of snow now it's um i want it integrated into my workflow so i know i'm not buying extra 
uh, SQL servers when I don't have to. And I know on the fly exactly how many I have in my procurement. And if I do need to buy a, a, um, a copy of project for somebody, you know, and we, we, we don't have any on the shelf, um, I can then integrate that into, um, you know, an insight website and have all that integrated right there. So, you know, the clients I, uh, talk to a lot are looking for that integrated um, workflow from a service now from Nariba so that they really understand what they have and can make on the fly decisions rather than um, calling some, you know, calling Al in the SAM department and say, Al, how many SQL servers do we have today, right? I'll, I'll get you a report and I'll get that to you by Friday, right? That doesn't work anymore. No, that, that makes that makes sense. I um, and you know I've seen I've seen different models where there's this sort of if you think about Sam as a managed service, it's the sort of combination of the platform and then the expertise of the provider in in you know and then you know sort of people process technology. You know that there's the platform, there's yep. the service, you know expertise, and that's how we provide this ongoing understanding of where you know entitlements may be or where uh, you know deficiencies may be in terms of licensing. Um, it, if you were to think about EMEA, Nelly, is, is ServiceNow, is it Flexera, is it Snow? What are, what are the platforms that seem to be persistent out there? Well, if I look at EMEA, well, the things that I come into play are mainly um, Snow, Flexera, iQuate, which is maybe not as known in the US, but uh, it's a big player for Oracle uh, data collection. Um, so those primarily uh, also, um, ah, I'm trying to find the, the name, um, Aspera. It's another Aspera. one. Yeah, I love Aspera. some of the names. Yeah. Aspera is big in the US. Aspera is interesting because they have a little bit of a different model. They sort of, I don't want to say give away the platform because they don't, but they do it more on a low cost and then they provide services on top of it. So they have a you know, kind of little different model than some of the others, which is interesting. Um, now, before we run out of time, I really want to have your expertise on um, Oracle audits. Um, mm -hmm. I know I, I mentioned earlier that Oracle is a, a big player in the audit game. And with COVID, I think we've seen a lot of publishers ramp up their audit um you know approach so that they can maybe get some lost revenue from the months that they were down and not gaining that revenue that they expected so one i wanted to see is have we seen an uptick in oracle audits uh since covid and then two um what what are some of the best practices you could give customers to protect themselves against uh an oracle audit Okay, on your first question, ramp up, not really. Oracle always has been a very active. <laughs> they're always ramped up. So it's not that they're doing it more now. <laughs> you you can't do more than 100% on it. So it's always, always ramped. <laughs> Got yeah, you. something like okay. that. Something like right. that. Um, so, no, at the, by far, that's not the case. They're not ramping up, but they're still doing it. And the chances are always high. So they are still high. So it doesn't really Got make you. that much of a difference. On 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 preparing so on audit defense, what are the best advices? Okay, well um, you can you have I'll I'm always splitting this up before any audit starts. My advice to client is 
make sure that you are ready, that you know your environment, you know the risks, and if you if you want to take them, that you take them consciously, so that there's no surprises if you would have an audit, right? That's right. the main advice I can give. So make sure that you do understand your licensing rights, you do understand your environment. If you have any risks, um, well, I do have clients that say it is what it is. If they come, we'll see, right? But uh, in certain, most of the clients I talk to, and that is, uh, and they are are very honest in that they say if we use it, we're going to pay for it, right? If we need it, right. we're going to pay for it. That's maybe a better word. If we need it, we're going to pay for it. If we used it without realizing it's licensable and we don't really need it, then we prefer not to use it and as such not to have to license it, of course, right. logically. That's one of the tricky things with Oracle. It's very easy, especially when we talk database and even middleware, to have actually use or installations that trigger a licensing requirement that you didn't know about. So we find lots of optimization opportunities on those areas if we do projects in advising the client, making sure they understand what they're using, and then they can determine what they actually require and then remediate anything that needs to be remediated. Well, remediation means that you move it on servers that require less performance because you don't need the performance that you added on you, you can do it less, just so you move it on an environment that requires less licenses, for instance. That's a possibility of remediation. Uh, merging test and development environments in, onto fewer servers as such to reduce the licensing requirement, another possibility of remediation. Uh, that type of things we're talking about. So that's what the first thing to do. Second thing is know your rights. So Oracle will come in if they do an audit and they will start saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do here, you need to do there. That's the, the process, that's the time, etc. They control everything. First thing we do in audit defense is take away that control, right? We take back the control for the client. So we tell the client, okay, this, you don't need to do that. That, it's not a contractual right they have. This, be sure that you get an NDA sign, for instance. That's uh, one of the, the primary things we do. So those kind of actions. So at the start of the project, of the start of an audit, know your rights. That's very important. During the audit, again, know your rights. If they ask you a question, is this related to that project or not? Because if it isn't, should you answer, right? Um, if they can't, if, if you don't understand something, why do they ask a question? Ask. You're entitled to ask. It's unbelievable how many clients think, oh, we have an audit, we need to do whatever they ask us. No, you don't. That's not what an audit is. An audit is they come to check how you're using your software. So as long as you share that with them, not a problem. Um, but they don't get the right to do and to ask whatever they want. That's not the case. If you get a report, make sure you understand every single thing which is in there. Again, very important because a lot of clients, they say, oh, so much money, we'll have to pay. We have a risk. We need to pay up. We need to pay up. First, maybe there's mistakes in there. We, in 70% of the audit defense projects that we do, where we step on later in the project, we find a lot of mistakes. 
So the last time I did this, we started with a, uh, a report that indicated 3.5 million license deficit. We kind of started saying there's mistakes here. After those mistakes got rectified, uh, they kind of went down already with a million to 2.6. Oh my gosh. And then we started playing around with the licenses. And I started reviewing the details the client had reported to Oracle. And I started saying, well, wait a minute, why are they doing this? And why are they doing that? And why are they allocating this? If we do it this way, we allocate named user licenses instead of processor licenses. Okay, let me check with you how you're using this. Can we do this? Yes, we can do this. We got this down to 90K. Wow. That's, oh. I mean, what a story. You know, it's it's got to be so rewarding to do something like that. Oh, and, fun. you know, and you guys, you know, I've heard similar stories from Bob, you know, and there, you know, your service pays for itself. You know what what it does. It's fantastic. That's that's so dramatic. It's exciting. Yeah. You want to review my family budget? Yeah, I, I would <laughs> that's right. That. That's right. That would, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, it's just fun I, because we go for this, right? So I've we're doing an audit defense at the moment. Again, the same situation. We found quite a bit of risks. We worked with the client on uh, finding ways, alternative ways of licensing, finding ways of yeah, unused, removing unused software, that type of things. And we go, we went from 2.6 to zero. Mm-hmm. So that is what that's the yeah. That's the that's fun the, of the world. Yeah, that's the promise. That's the yeah, fun. that is great. So well, yeah. I think we're out of time. Yeah. 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 Nelly, thank you so much for uh, bringing your Oracle knowledge to us here on the podcast and to the uh, audience in the United States. We very much oh. uh, appreciate your time today, and thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the, rest of your, enjoy the rest of your 20 degrees Celsius day. That's right. Yeah, I, I think, think I'm going to have an early break. I think I'll have an early stop tonight and just go out and enjoy the sun, indeed. Do it. All right. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.